Praise God, viewers. It's great to have you on the Crucified Podcast. And today I'm going to be talking about a topic that is not necessarily enjoyed to be talked about, but still needs to be brought up from time to time. That is the topic of sin. And today I'm going to be talking about how our sin separates us from God and how it has completely plagued mankind from the beginning. And to do this, I'm going to simply just go through a history of sin and show us how bad it is for mankind before us and now even today with us here. And I want to show you how hopeless we are on our own. And through this, I want to show you the beauty of God's grace and the beauty of his love. And I'm not going to be bringing you any amazing theology, but I'm simply just going to be showing the gospel of Christ with the eyes of knowing that we're sinners. So uh, let's get in. And to begin, I would like to first define what sin is. And we need to define it because for us to understand the greatness of God's love, the greatness of the gospel, we have to know what sin is. And the Hebrew word for sin simply corresponds to the word hata. And this word simply means to fail or miss the mark. You know, you, an archer can fire a bow, and if he's a skilled archer, he can hit the target without committing a hata. He wouldn't miss. So to sin against God or your brother is to fail them and miss the mark of what you're supposed to do. It's failing to honor them to the level that they should be honored. And in scripture, this word hata is used over and over again. We can see that everyone who began from Adam, this hata has completely plagued everyone. Sin and failure is just completely everywhere. And so to begin, I would like to go to Genesis 3, 67. And this is, of course, is the story of Adam and Eve when they defied God and went on their own path. And it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So here, of course, we see, as we know from Sunday school, first sin was committed, and they, of course, ruin everything through their pride. They get kicked out of the garden, and they are waiting their death to come. And they are no longer in the presence of God, and things are just ruined. And through this one sin, some even may call just a small sin, everything was ruined. Like, they lost everything. And that, that helps you see that how much God hates sin. Just through one man's sin, just one sin, everything is ruined. And that sort of sets the stage of how much God hates sin and how much he loves obedience. And so moving on to the story, we move on to Cain and Abel. And moving on to Cain and Abel, we see these two brothers and we hope maybe this disease of sin will stop with them. That their parents were the only ones who would sin and Cain and Abel would begin a new generation that would, you know, stop sin. But of course, no, Cain kills Abel through jealousy and his pride. And this plague of sin continues to the entire world. And it does not stop. And so we go on to Noah. And as we know in Noah, the time of Noah, everyone is just completely lost. There's wickedness everywhere and God hates it. And so God separates one man and his family, Noah. And he wipes out the entire world with a flood, as we all know. And we think that maybe through this flood... Sin is gone. All sin died with, you know, the rest of the world. And Noah will be the start of a new generation that will help everyone, that will help the rest of mankind, you know, run from sin. 
But as we know, if we continue the story, that's not what happens. Noah continues to sin. He makes a vineyard. He gets completely drunk. And then even one of his sons mock him. And sin does not stop with him. And it continues. And so we go on. We go on to the story of the Bible. And we get to one man named Abraham. Now, God chooses Abraham out of everybody. And he says, this man will be the beginning of a nation separate from God. And that nation, of course, is Israel. And we have some hope in this man that sin might stop with him. Sin, Abraham is going to be a new beginning. But as we know, Abraham is just completely filled with doubts and lies. And he continues with the sin. And we hope that maybe this nation that he has, maybe that will be a holy nation. So we go to Israel. And eventually we know they become occupied in Egypt. And they are slaves. And they are brutally oppressed by the Egyptians. So God, through his mercy and his grace, he saves them from their bondage through Moses. And again, as a new reader, you may think that because of what God has done to the Israelites, they will never sin again and sin will be destroyed. But we realize again that is not the case. Israel goes on to serve idol, fail, and sin against God. Even Moses does this. And, you know, sin does not stop. And we go on. Israel offers holy sacrifices, holy creatures, as God commands them to. But as we read in Hebrews... The blood of bulls and lambs is not enough to cleanse our sin. We need something greater. So these sacrifices, although we do as God commands, it's not enough to take our sins. So we go on to the story. Maybe if God gives them judges, then sin will stop. So God gives them judges, but as we know, the judges just become way worse than Israel. You know, the sickness of sin, just you can see it in their lives so well, and it just ruins them. And then we go on, maybe give them a king. That will maybe straighten their ways. But no, the same thing happens with the kings. They just become evil. And even David, a man after God's own heart, he was a murderer and an adulterer. So, I mean, again, sin does not stop. So maybe a prophet of God can help them and heal them. Well, they'll just kill the prophets. And this cycle continues for years and no one is safe from the disease of sin. And with these examples I'm giving you from the Bible, I'm not trying to say that God tried over and over again for a solution until he came to the sacrifices of his son. No, we see from the beginning, right when Adam and Eve sinned, God told them that he would send someone who would crush the head of the snake, and that man is Christ. But the reason I bring this up to you is to show that nothing we can do can do anything against sin. We are completely hopeless. We are sheep going towards the shearer. Everything that man had could not clean them from their sin. And the issue is not that we've only sinned once, which would still be enough to send us to hell. But all we did was sin. We were under the domain and control of sin. And going forward, we continually see the damage that sin has on the world. And Israel continues to be defeated and occupied. And nobody can live to the great standard of God. And that all this sin that is happening in the world, it's sort of like a leprosy that has plagued the world. It has plagued the entire nation of Israel. And imagine a man walked into your house at the moment and he is just completely full of leper. He's a leper and he's completely disgusting. There's blood and skin coming out of him. You know, there's pus everywhere. And he says, please heal me. I'm, I'm, you know, disgusting. Please heal me. I need healing. And so you go out and you buy the finest and whitest garments known to man. The most beautiful thing you've ever had. And you put all your resources and all your money and you buy these white garments and you put it on him and try to make him look clean and presentable. What will happen to this leper? Well, if you know anything about leprosy, the leprosy of that man would be so strong that it would just go completely through the white clothes you give him. 
it would just complete it would make him just as dirty if not dirtier than he was before and this is sort of the spiritual condition of all all of mankind has no matter what we do no matter how many good works we try to put on ourselves we'll be filthy and even our good works are as filthy rags to begin with so it almost seems impossible to reunite god and man as it was in the beginning in the garden of eden and when we go into the New Testament, this is exactly what we see Paul emphasizing to the Romans. He shows the great magnitude of sin over and over again. And he condemns everyone in just a few lines. As we see in Romans 3, 9 to 10, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all bo both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it was written, none is righteous, no, not one. And this short amount of scripture is enough to condemn every man. With the simple fact that Paul just presented to us is enough to send everyone to hell if they do not have Christ. Because God is just and this just shows how much he hates sin and our wickedness. But even with these two verses being enough to condemn everyone, Paul goes on to drill this point in as we see Romans three eleven to 18. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside together, they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of apse is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes." And Paul keeps going, giving this statement, and even more in this chapter and in this book, Paul just shows everyone that they deserve hell, and he just continues to drill it in that we are sinners, and we can do nothing. And Paul even, you know, goes back to Adam and Eve too in Romans 5.12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. And these statements are true for everyone. And it's quite amazing how much Paul just drills it in. And the reason I believe he drills it in is because he wants to make sure everyone knows that they are condemned. You know, if he just said that there's none righteous, no, not one, that would be enough. But he continues to go on. Because immediately when you say everyone has sinned, there's always someone who jumps up and yells, Amen. Get those sinners, get those people who are unrighteous. But no, Paul says, even you, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. Even the Pharisees, the people who are considered the most holy in the time, Jesus said, no, you are sinners. And Paul just continues through the Holy Spirit to condemn everyone. And when reading this book, it might be a little sad when going through it. But Paul then brings us the joy, the reason we are Christians, the reason we live and we breathe. And that is found in Romans 3, 21 to 26. And this is arguably one of the greatest passages in the Bible, and it is, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, 
so that he might be just in the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Now, many scholars and theologians, as I said, claim this to be the most important passage in all of Scripture. Because on one hand, it shows us the absolute filth that everyone has sinned. But on the other hand, it shows that Christ was a propitiation for us. He took our place. And now we have everlasting life. And that is why we have joy today as Christians. It is not because we made ourselves great. It is not because we've mustered up all our holiness and now we can be in God's presence. No, it's because of what Christ did on our behalf. And this is why this is why God was able to save Noah from the flood. It was why God was able to call Abraham his friend. It was why David was a man after God's own heart. It is it is because of Christ that God was able to do these things, not because they were great, but because Christ was great. And we look throughout the Bible, Christ was the greater sacrifice, he was the greater judge, he was the greater king, and he was the greater prophet. And this was why God could save us. And the reason I want to emphasize sin so much is to make sure, is not to make sure that the sin is the center of the gospel, because we know that Christ is the center of the gospel. But I want to show that we can do nothing, that Christ is the absolute center. And uh, I would like to read one last passage, and it's Joshua 24, 11 to 13. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And then uh, going down to verse 12, And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land in which you had not labored, and the cities which you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat of the fruit and vineyards and the olive orchards that you did not plant. We did nothing. Israel won over and over again, not because they were a great nation or because they had a great military. It was because they served a great God. And I'd like to read one last quote. It's by Paul Washer. And it goes, if salvation was 99.9% Jesus and 0.1% us, we would all be damned. If you were in the full course of your life to take only the finest seconds of piety, your finest second of self-sacrifice, your finest second of worship, only that and put it on a scale, it would only earn you hell. We have only one boast. One boast is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I know that probably all of you know this, and I'm not shocking any of you. But I hope that this message today will reorient you on the gospel to show you that what the gospel is. Is that we are sinners and Christ ripped you from your sin and made you separate for him and made you holy for him. And none of what I'm saying today is going to make, make mean anything to you if you do not go and seek it for yourself. I'd like, like to read one last passage. Psalm 34, 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Nothing I said today will mean anything if you do not go out and taste and see this for yourself. Go for yourself. Lock yourself in your prayer closet. Read the word of God. Taste and see that he is good. And the goodness of Christ, the streams of living water that Christ talked about, you will see that in your life. Go and seek him for yourself and you will find him. May God bless you, and may you continue seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.